continue some thoughts from Vision Night. We're going to work through some of the things we covered and, and look at them more closely. Nehemiah chapter 2, beginning in verse number 11. Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse number 11. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. And I rose in the night, I and some few men with me. Neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well into the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down. And the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain and to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Then went I up in the night by the brook and viewed the wall and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned. And the rulers knew not whither I went or what I did. Neither had I as yet told it to the Jews nor to the priests nor to the nobles nor to the rulers nor to the rest that did the work. Then said I unto them, Ye see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more of reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. Gracious Father, would you help me to preach this in the way that most pleases you? I am at best a imperfect vessel, but your word is perfect. And I ask that you would move me out of the way and bless your word and speak to hearts. Lord, if it is to be my voice that you use to speak to us, Father, I pray that you'd give us the strength to get through this message. But Lord, if it's your intent to just shut me up, that'd be all right too. I just want what you want. So speak to us, I pray. And may Jesus be lifted up in it. For it's in his name we ask these things. Amen. Our theme... For this year's rise up and build, elevate, rise up, and build, edify. And we look at several ways in which that applies, and in the, in the coming weeks we'll look at the, the building part of it, but tonight I want to look specifically at the side of it about rising up. Last week we talked about what this involves, this, this rising up, this elevation, We talked about how we live in a culture that seems to go no further than getting by and good enough. I've gotten to where the phrase, ah, that's good enough, makes me sick to my stomach. Good enough is never good enough. As Christians, we're called upon to be men, women, young ladies, young men of excellence. God expects that of us. And that doesn't mean that everything we do is going to be ostentatious. It doesn't mean that everything that we do needs to measure up to the world's standard of excellence, but it needs to measure up to God's standard of excellence. 
good enough and getting by doesn't get it done. And Christians have to be consumed with elevating for the cause of Christ. Because if we're not growing, we're dying. There's no such thing as standing pat in a healthy way. Um, Our children, if our children stopped growing, we would think something's terribly wrong and we'd be right. And yet as Christians, we seem to be okay with, well, I'm not any worse than I was a year ago. Yeah, I haven't grown, but I'm about the same. I worry very much about Christians that say, I've been saved 40 years and I ain't changed a thing. <laughs> then your, your salvation has not worked the work in you that it's intended to. Because there's a lot of things about us that should change. Anything that's not elevating is just lagging behind. And we talked about three areas last week that we need to, to elevate, to rise up. The first is the matter of personal expectation. What do you expect out of yourself? I have wrestled with this one. I, I confess to you that I fell into a trap. COVID was hard on everybody. And COVID changed a lot of the way we do things. But I let COVID keep me on the bench a lot longer than it should have. Well, you know, we're still, we're still battling that mess. We're still dealing with that mess. Excuses are gone, y'all. Well, it's still out there, and it always will be. It always will be. I'm not saying to be foolhardy. I'm not saying to be silly. I'm not saying to be um, you know, dangerous. But if, if we're looking for a reason to not expect a lot of ourselves, I promise you we'll find it. We'll find it. Now, I'm not saying that we need to do more to get God's favor. That's not what I'm saying at all. Grace took care of all of that. I'm talking about being the servants of God that we should be. I'm talking about reciprocating that love and showing that we love him. That, that, should, that should manifest itself in our endeavors to please him and how we live. The fact is, I'm married because my wife and I vowed to each other and before God and in front of our witnesses that we would be joined for the rest of our natural lives. That's what makes me married. But that's not where it stopped. My endeavor is to be the best husband for her that I can be. Just as she has endeavored to be the best wife for me that I could have. I confess that she's doing better than I am. She's meeting that goal much more efficiently than I am. I'm saved because of the blood of Jesus Christ, his death, his burial and resurrection. And I have his favor because God in his goodness extends that. But the way I live manifests how I feel about him, not how he feels about me. See, what do we expect of ourselves? The number two, ministry health. We need to elevate our ministry health. How high can this church go for God's glory? And what role are you? Willing to play in it. Now, now how, does that, how does that manifest itself? 
it's different for every ministry. For some ministries, their, their health is evidenced in their numbers. But not all of them. There are pastors, there are churches, there are leaders, there are church members that will get to heaven having served God in a church of a dozen and a half. But they were faithful, and they did everything God asked them to do. They did their best, and God will be pleased, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I'm not saying that it's all about numbers, but we have to really take a hard look at our ministry health and say, are we at the level that God expects us to be? And I don't believe we are. God intends for us to elevate. Now, what will that look like? I think it will look like growth. Man, God's given us a ton of visitors here lately. And we're doing our best to follow up with them and, 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 and make connections and, and help them determine whether or not God would have them to be here in this ministry. We've had folks that have had witnessing opportunities, and I thank God for that. It may very well manifest itself in growth. It may manifest itself... In, in expansion. And I pray that it does. It may manifest itself in expanding our missionary endeavors to see people saved. We're going to find out at the end of this thing, God was much less interested in the opulence of our ministries than he was how many people we were getting the gospel to. But are we at that level? And if we're not, we need to elevate we use the example in Acts chapter 17, verse 8. It was, said of, it was said of those servants of God, Paul and others, these that have turned the world upside down. You look at somebody like Jim Elliott and Nate Saint, they didn't have a whole lot of converts in their ministry there in Ecuador. But I'll tell you something, they turned the world upside down. We need to elevate in the matter of our personal expectation. We need to elevate in the matter of our ministry health. And we need to elevate in the matter of our God confidence. What do I mean by that? How big is your God? And what can he do? We would never verbalize that we think God has limitations, but we sure do live like it sometimes. We sure do pray like it sometimes. We sure do worry like it sometimes. I do. How big? is your God. And I would dare say that all of us could stand to elevate our understanding of how big God is. Because however big you think he is, he's bigger. And however high you think he is, he's higher. However great you think he is, he's greater. Jeremiah thirty-two twenty-seven. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh, is there anything too hard for me? The answer is no. Andy, do you believe there'll be revival in America? I hope so, but I don't know. But I know there can be because my God's big enough to do it. You remember we talked about this morning. I don't, I don't always know why God allows what he allows, but I don't need to. All I need to know is that God's big enough to handle whatever comes our way. That's all I got to know. So that brings us to our second question. Not just in what areas should we elevate, but if we're called upon to elevate our thinking and to accept nothing less than God's best for us individually, for our families, for this church corporately, for our country, whatever, how do we do that? 
How do we elevate our thinking and elevate our mindset and elevate our approach? How do we do that? I would submit to you the same way that Nehemiah did. Nehemiah was the king's cupbearer. It was a very high position. He enjoyed a great deal of privilege. Now, he had one part of his job that bought and paid for that privilege. It was his job that everything the king ate and drank passed his lips first to make sure it wasn't poison. So, if he has a bad day at work, he only has one bad day at work. (laughs) But in exchange for that, he was a man that enjoyed a great deal of the king's trust and favor. And it is reported to him that Jerusalem is in ruins. Yes, they've made efforts to rebuild the temple, but they have not been successful in rebuilding the walls or the gates. They are being persecuted. They are being worried. They're having all kinds of problems, and this grieves him to no end, and God instills in him a burden to lead a group of people back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls and the gates. And he does so with the king's full blessing, with the king's full support. All the ways that that falls together is all providential. God does all of that, and it's clear in the text that he does. And we find when we look back on it, we find that in spite of persecution, in spite of threats of death, in spite of hardships, in spite of people quitting, in spite of discouragement, they built the walls of Jerusalem in 52 days. What a successful project. But this would mean that Nehemiah had some elevated thinking. So what characterized his elevated thinking? And how do we have it? Number one, this is going to sound familiar from this morning. Repentance. Go back to chapter 1. Nehemiah 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah, came to pass in the month of Chislu in the 20th year. As I was in Shushan, the palace, that Han and I, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left to the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. They said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven and said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive, and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which... We 
have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee, and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments which thou commandest thy servant Moses. What is the first thing that Nehemiah does? Search me, O God, and know my thoughts. Know my heart, rather. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be in me any wicked way. And lead me into the way everlasting. I'm just really struck lately with how little repentance is preached and worse still, how little it's practiced. We have so misunderstood grace that we think we never even need to ask God to forgive us for anything. And for my salvation and for my positional righteousness, I don't. I have it forever. But in my practical righteousness, I'm to keep short accounts with God. If we're going to grow as a church, if we're going to elevate our thinking, it begins with repentance. Number two, responsibility. We're still in that passage, chapter 1, verse number 6. Nehemiah's praying, and it appears as though Nehemiah is a faithful man. He's, he's been faithful to God. God has blessed him and given him a good, a good place to, to serve, and, and, and it just seems that Nehemiah is a godly man. And yet when he prays, he says, I pray before thee now, verse 6, day and night for the children of Israel thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments which thou commandest thy servant Moses. This, this harkens to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel does the same thing. If anybody is a godly man, it's Daniel. And yet Daniel, when he prays, he includes himself in the responsibility. I've been spending a lot of time lately seeking God's face, and I, I, can't, I can't think of a time. God knows my heart. If, it, if it's happened, I, I don't remember it. But I can't think of a time that I've ever gone to God and said, Lord, if you're going to do something great at this church, if, if we're going to if we're going to see growth, if we're going to see elevation, if we're going to see your best for this ministry, God, you've got to deal with that guy over there. God, this lady over here has got to get right with you if it's going to happen. But I'll tell you what I have prayed. Lord, if we're going to get better, you've got to straighten me out. You've got to fix me. I don't know, I mean, I know a little bit here and there, but by and large, I don't know what's going on in your hearts. 
I don't know where you are with God spiritually right now. I know we all put up a really good show on Sundays. But I know this. I can't be the only one that needs to go to God and take responsibility for where we are individually, as families, and corporately as a church. I am one of them for sure, and as the leader, I am the big one. But we all have to prepare and be willing to take responsibility for what God wants done. All of us. We will never elevate our thinking if we never bear any responsibility for the results. Number three, retreat. Now, when I say retreat, I don't mean run from the battle. I mean like if you go on a spiritual retreat, a ladies retreat, a preacher's retreat, you get away with God and commune with him, away from the distractions that the world so frequently offers. I want you to look at chapter 2, verse number 11. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. And I rose in the night, I and some few men with me. Neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. And as he rides, we see that he's out there by himself. There was an exchange, there was a communion, there was a conversation that took place between God and Nehemiah, and no one else knew anything about it. So often, our walk with God consists of nothing more than what everybody knows and everybody sees. But it should be much, much Deeper than that. There should be a time every day that it's just me and God. And when you do that, God will start giving you things that are just between Him and you, and they're precious. So I don't know anything about that. Then you need to go on a retreat. I'm too busy. It's got nothing to do with busy. Do you know who did this frequently? Jesus. And if Jesus saw the need to get alone with his father, how much more should we? We like spending time with people that we love. And in this respect, if I'm not spending time with God, I must not love him like I should. Retreat. There are things that God has kept between me and him that are just for us, and I don't know that I'll ever, ever divulge them to anybody else. They're that precious. 
Now, there are some things that he eventually does allow. I came in, what, 2011? So for at least eight years, God whispered in my ear about a family life center. It took me more than half a decade to say about anything about it to anybody. And then when I did, COVID hit. <laughs> Perhaps I should have kept it to myself a little longer. Why am I so obsessed with it? Because God gave it to me. Why are you so obsessed with your wife? Because God gave her to you. Why are you so obsessed with your kids? Because God gave them to you. Why am I so obsessed with this church? Because God gave it to us. But we're never going to go to that next level. We are never going to elevate if we spend no time with God in retreat. I don't have time. Make time. Make it. I promise you, you can find it. Sometimes I'll end the day and don't feel like I spent enough time with God. And immediately, you know where my mind goes? Oh, my soul. How much time did I spend playing that stupid game on my phone? How much time did I, did I waste watching the news? And yes, watching the news is more or less a waste of time. It's not about we don't have the time. It's about we don't make the time. We don't set it aside. Redeeming the time, you've got to buy it back. But I'm telling you, there is nothing alike retreating alone with the Father. We want to elevate our thinking. There's going to be repentance. There's going to be responsibility. There's going to be retreat. You know what else is going to be? Removal. We're still in chapter 2, verse number 13. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well into the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. The problem was not that Jerusalem didn't have walls. The problem was the walls that were there had been broken down. Now, if these walls have been compromised by foreign invasion, is it reasonable to conclude that you cannot build on the foundation of a burnt, broken-down wall? What do you have to do before you can build the wall? You've got to remove the old stuff. And that's one of the hardest things for Christians and for churches, particularly churches that are so careful and guarding of the old faith as we should be. But we really have a hard time removing things sometimes. 
If I'm going to elevate my thinking, I need to be willing to hear God when he says, this that you've been clinging to for a long time, it served its purpose then, but now it has to go. This wall was great in its day, but now if you're going to build a new wall, this old stuff's got to go. And I know that that always, it's unsettling because there are things that we cherish. There are things that we cling to. But sometimes we've got to be willing to remove some stuff. And what's really difficult is when we're removing things that aren't bad. Of course, we'd all agree you've got to remove stuff that's bad. But, but what about removing stuff that's good? That you might have what's best. My wife and I had a conversation yesterday. Honey, you've got to get rid of some of your clothes. I don't have room to put your new clothes, your better clothes, your clothes that actually fit you. You've got to weed out some of this stuff. And here's what she doesn't understand. Men spend a lifetime getting a t-shirt just right. But it's got holes in it, as it should. Those holes are a testament to my life with that shirt. But sometimes, they got to go. Why? Because I got better shirts that don't have holes in them. I'm not asking if you're willing to let go of things that are bad. I, I assume you are. I hope you are. Are you prepared to let go of good things that we might have God, God's greatest things? Adrian Rogers ran into this. Pastor Bellevue Baptist Church. They were in a historic building, beautiful old building. If you've ever seen video or pictures of it, beautiful old building. And it was the church of R.G. Lee, Robert G. Lee. Man, what a, what a building and what a church. And they were out of room. They were out of room in the building and they were out of room outside. They were landlocked. They had nowhere else to park. It, the church was growing. And if they didn't do something, it, the church was going to falter because if you don't provide for mechanisms of growth, it hurts the church. And yet he had a sizable number of people. I was born in this church. We buried granddaddy at this church. We did, we're not turning loose. That, that, that exists even today. We love this church. Well, first of all, let's get our terms right. We love this building. If we all march over there to the property across the street, we're still a church. From at the building. So you know what he did? Man, what a wise man. He preached out of Joshua, and he said, all right, the 12 stones of remembrance. Everybody grabbed a stone, they put it in the water, and then they did another stack of them on the other side. These are stones of remembrance. We're going to have 12 stones of remembrance. You as a church get to pick 12 things from this building that go to the new one. I picked the first one. I reserved the first one for myself. I'm taking the pulpit. And for the duration of his ministry, he preached behind the same pulpit. 
And they, you know, picked this and picked that and the other thing. And they had a ceremony where just like Joshua, they marched those things to the new property. But they had to be willing to let go of something good for something better. What's in your life that's good that's keeping you from what's best? Not everybody's meant to go to college, and I understand that. And as a pastor, I don't make a point to recommend co- I can I can tell you colleges that are no good. I can tell you colleges that would be good for this major or for that major, but I don't, I don't make a practice of saying you need to go to this college. But not everybody's meant to go to college. But I can tell you this, there are some that if God's meaning to prepare them for his ministry, for his vocation and calling on their life, and they won't go because they've got it good here instead of what's best there. I know my job keeps me from serving the Lord in my local church with any real consistency. And by the way, that's, that's a thing. I've been there. I've done that. I've worked the shift work, and it is tough. And sometimes your ministry is where you work. That's how God has it set up. That is your ministry. But let, let's say, and I'm going to use Brother Branson for an example. i got to quit. But let's say that Brother Branson is called into full-time vocational ministry, that God has called him to preach in a full-time vocational way. Working for Oakwood's good. But if God's called you into vocational ministry, good can be the enemy of best. You've got to be willing to let it go. You know what I'm saying? I could keep giving you examples. I'm not. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit do that. But you understand the basic premise? We've got to be willing to remove some stuff that keeps us from going higher. Number five, how do we elevate our thinking? Repentance, responsibility, retreat, removal, research. Research. Look at chapter 2, verse 15. Then I went up in the night by the brook and viewed the wall and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned. He took time to view. The word view there is interesting. It literally means it's a medical term. It's the idea of probing a wound. And he is looking at these walls and he's saying, okay, this happened here. This structure here is no good. This is, and, and he's researching. He's, he's gathering information to see what needs to be done. And sometimes the only reason that, that people individually or church or whatever doesn't grow and doesn't elevate is because we don't put in the time and effort to just see what needs to be done. That's how marriages fall apart. We don't take the time and the effort to say, you know what, I could do this to make my marriage stronger. We just assume it'll always be fine. We need to be willing to research. We need to be willing to probe the wounds of our life. And by the way, when you probe a wound, it's painful. And sometimes this doesn't. You know, I, I've had to do that personally. I've had to sit down and look at myself in, in the mirror of God's word and say, there are some areas that I'm not cutting it. I'm not getting it done. 
And I need to be willing to probe that wound and research and gather information. This is what needs to be done. This needs to be removed. This needs to be reinforced. This needs to be this and that needs to be that. And put in the work to do it if we're going to elevate our thinking. Then number six. Sometimes to elevate our thinking, we need a healthy healthy dose of reality. (laughs) We're in chapter 2, verse number 16. And the rulers knew not whither I went or what I did, neither had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. Then said I unto them, I have examined the state of our union, and it is strong. Our president says that every year. I don't care what party he is. Wouldn't you just be blown away if the president got up in the State of the Union address and said, I've examined the state of our union, and it is a mess. Because i got a secret to tell you. It's a mess. Our union is not strong. I love America, but our union is not strong. Our economic viability is not strong. Our 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 understanding of what the forefathers intended is not strong. And the spiritual climate of this country is, I think, the weakest it's ever been. What state was it that just just Friday voted in their legislature to officially codify Abortion up to the moment of birth, and it's now legal in that state if the governor signs it. It's legal in that state for a baby to be born and left on a table to die. That is satanic. That is wicked. That is hellish. And by the way, the Reverend Raphael Warnock is for it. I rarely say this, but a man to be for that is no more saved than a Doberman pincher. Now, what did he say? Then said I unto them, verse 17, Ye see the distress that we are in. Fellas, this isn't good. This isn't good. What is he doing? He is issuing them a dose of reality. The way we have done things up to this point is not sufficient. This is a distressing situation. We need to change some things. And sometimes the reason that we don't elevate in our thinking is because we refuse to face reality. And I got news for you. If we're not following the Great Commission as a church, eventually this church dies. If we're not reproducing, then eventually we all die off. What's left? How did God intend for us to keep the church moving forward? The Great Commission. And the reality of it is, any church that is no longer, and I'm not saying this is us, but but any church that is no longer committed to the Great Commission, it is only a matter of time, and the reality of it is, they've got a grim future. We've got to elevate our thinking. It involves repentance, responsibility, retreat, removal, research, reality. And then 
To cap it all off, it involves complete and total reliance. On who? On God. We need to understand that we're not getting anything done without God's help. Chapter 2, verse 18. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. But. See, chapter 1 doesn't end there. What happens immediately? But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant the Ammonite and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this thing that ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? What is Nehemiah's answer? Then answered I them and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. By the way, but ye have no portion or right nor memorial in Jerusalem. We live in a small town, a relatively small county. We're not a major city. We can't expect God to do but so much. We can't expect to fill this auditorium. We can't expect to keep those waters stirring. And we certainly can't expect to build a $2.5 million building over there. I'm standing here to tell you that if it's the will of God for any of those things, you're right. We can't do a thing. But the God of heaven will prosper us. Oh, don't make that one mad. They give a lot. By the way, I don't know who gives what on purpose. I don't know. Don't make that one mad. They'll quit giving. Well, I wasn't relying on that anyway. Don't make that one mad. They'll run you down all over town. I'm not worried about that either. Oh, man, we're never going to build that thing. Have you seen the price of materials? Joe Biden got elected into office. We're sunk. I'm not relying on any of that. Anything that gets done here gets done because the God of heaven prospered us. That's all I need. By the way, that's all you need to. (laughs) It's time to elevate our thinking. It involves repentance, responsibility. So what? Retreat, removal, research. Reality, reliance. So what's really easy tonight? Are you willing and prepared tonight to ask God help you elevate your thinking? Rise up. Or are you satisfied with status quo? Stay here. That's your so what.